Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Focus on Forward, our Friday night live edition. Uh, we've got a really nice guest in the back, uh, the virtual green room waiting for us. Uh, we have the author, Patrick L. Long. He's going to come out in just a moment. We're going to talk about his book, which is the title of our show tonight, Ordinarily Extraordinary. I can't trust you how many times I actually had to read that to make sure I was getting it right. It's a bit of a tongue twister. I think he did it on purpose, but we'll talk to him about that uh, in, in a matter of just a couple minutes here. But of course, before we dive into tonight's show, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Vital Signs and Graphics. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. All right. So, yeah. So, if you're looking for logo design help, if you need uh, some type of business apparel, business cards, whatever it may be, Give Rick a call, 231-652-3300, and tell him that Focused on Forward sent you, and he will take very good care of all your needs there. Now, typically, right now, we jump right into the interview. We would bring out our guests, but there's something that I want to cover real quick. So as you can see uh, from our introduction, and, and we talk about this quite often, we are a member of a group called the Scene Snobs Network. Now, what that means is that uh, a bunch of uh, independent podcasters have all grouped together. We we help support one another. We help take care of one another. We call ourselves uh, the hashtag Pottern family because of the way that we support one another and we help one another. Well, one of our own, his sister, and it's his family, uh, is in well, direct need of some help and some assistance. So as podcasters, how do we do, how do we give a hand? Well, we do it in the only way that we really know how, and that's to help by having a, a podcast, a day-long uh, charity fundathon. Uh, the Milby family has had some unexpected medical needs. There's been elongated medical stays. And so Friday, July 30th, the Scene Snobs Network is going to host this event. It's going to start at 2 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to go to 2 a.m. Eastern. Now, here's the thing. Every time somebody hears about a GoFundMe event, they're like, oh, man, it's, you know, I don't have enough to give or I, can, I can't support that in a way that's meaningful. Well, here's the trick. Give a dollar. Because if you give a dollar, I give a dollar, Patrick gives a dollar, somebody else gives a dollar, 
Well, then you know what happens? That starts adding up rather quickly. Now, as the recipient of a GoFundMe event uh, a couple years ago, when my daughter was in during her hospital stay, she was there for 97 days in the hospital. 33 of them were in the ICU. My wife and I took off work. We had no income. We had all these unexpected medical bills. We weren't sure how to proceed. So some good friends of ours set up a, a GoFundMe. Without that GoFundMe, we would have been destitute financially. So here's the thing. We had friends who felt bad because they couldn't give $20, $50, $100 or more. There will be some who donate those amounts and higher. There will be some who can only donate $1, $5, $10, whatever it may be. But the thing is, they all add up. So if you can, next week from 2 p.m. Eastern to 2 a.m. Eastern on the Scene Snobs Network, please give just a dollar to the, if, you, if you, nothing else, give just a dollar. It's going to help out a family who really needs help. And because the Scene Snobs believe so strongly in, in supporting one another, this is the way that we do it. This is the way that we help take care of one another. So please help us take care of one of our own. We'll see you next week on Friday with, for that. There's going to be some great guests, some great entertainment. There's going to be, as, the, as the, the screen shows, there's going to be laughs, trivia, all kinds of different guests, uh, whether it's in 15-minute increments, 30-minute increments, one-hour increments. There's going to be a, a lot of people in and out all day long. It's going to be a really enjoyable show. So please stop by. It'll be on right after, and I'll be doing an hour uh, for that right after next week's Focused on Forward Live show, uh, because I want to make sure that that we help out as much as we can as well. So please uh, take a look at that, and please search your heart, see what you can do to help out the, Mil the Milby family, who's truly in need. Okay, guys, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for being patient and, and uh, giving up a couple extra minutes of, of our interview time uh, for that. So now we're going to bring in uh, Patrick L. Long. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you. For, don't hope you didn't mind me taking your name in vain there during that little spiel. Uh, no, no, no. That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, Patrick, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show today because I think that every time that we talk to somebody who has experienced loss and has had to learn how to deal with grief, I, I find new ways that people have have done it and and how they have climbed that mountain and been able to move forward in their life because grief affects people in so many different ways and, and it really attacks them in so many different ways. So what I would like to do, Patrick, is, is kind of turn the microphone over to you. Please tell us about your story, the loss that you endured, and let's talk about how you became focused on Forward. Well, thank you. Yeah. So my story, my book, and as I share the story is my wife passed, um, she had a three and a half year battle with breast cancer and she passed in March of 2019. And we had four young kids together. At the time she passed, our youngest was only four years old, four, six, eight, 12. So yeah, I was left to, to raise our four young kids on my own. And um, so, you know, the book is that story. It's, I wrote a memoir in the year following her death. Um and it's it's it kind of starts with her. She started having strokes a few weeks before she passed. And then we were in and out of hospitals a lot. And, you know, we really didn't realize it was the end. Um, we, we, we were dealing with things. We thought we were getting over it. There were some signs she was coming out of it, improving um, and things like that. But then ultimately, you know, 24, 48 hours before she passed, we actually thought we were still, you know, that that, that wasn't going to happen. We didn't know it was the end. So the, the very end came on very quickly. It all went downhill fast. But um, 
basically in, in the ICU when she passed, you know, I'm in there with her, you know, she takes her last breath and she passed. And there was probably about a dozen friends and family in there at the time. Um, there's normally kind of like a two visitor rule, but when they're right. passing, they just kind of throw that out the window so people can come in and be by her side and say goodbyes. But, you know, I was in there with her, you know, for a couple few minutes after she passed. And then I walked out in the hallway and people were hugging. And at one moment, you know, just 10 minutes after she passed, I'm just having this minute or two where I'm just kind of standing there by myself. Everybody's milling around, talking to each other. And it, it just hit me and it was just overwhelmed me. <clears throat> and I'm just standing there thinking, what am I going to do? Like, how in the world <clears throat> am I going to go on? How am I going to raise four kids, provide, work a job, do all the things I have to do, be mom and dad? And sure. you know, how am I even going to have time to get them to and from school and still get to work or do whatever else I have to do? And, you know, I'm totally grief stricken. I'm just completely stunned, blown away, devastated. And those are all the thoughts that are going through my head. You just kind of can't control that. But then a friend of ours actually walks up to me and she just looks at me and she just kind of has this sad look and she's kind of like, Oh, Patty, what are we going to do? You know, and kind of gives me a hug. And the funny thing is she didn't say anything wrong. It wasn't being negative. She was expressing the same thing we were all feeling. But when I, but when I heard someone else say it out loud, it triggered something in me. And I literally right then and there, you know, 10 minutes after she passed, it hit me when I heard those words out loud, I just said, we're going to thrive. We're going to do great. You know, we're not, we're not going to look at this as a tragedy that she passed. We're going to look at it as it would have been a tragedy if we hadn't had all these years with her. And I was immediately thinking, you know, <clears throat> I have to set a positive tone for my kids. You know, we're not going to live sad. We're not going to sit around and be like, Oh, poor us. Why did this happen to us? You know, we're, we're going to get Melanie was always a very, very fun person. And we had a really good fun relationship you know, I'm not trying to say we're perfect in any way. I share, oh, no, a lot no. of, I share a lot of that in the book of some marital turmoil and discord we had, different things like that. And I'm very honest about that, even to the point of making myself look bad in a lot of places, which I was willing to do to really tell the story and make it real. But at the same time, we overall, we had a really great life. We had a lot of humor in our life. We, we were always people who were just looking to have fun. And I wanted to keep that alive for our children. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I, I set that in my mind literally from almost the time it began. And then, you know, also the funny thing is immediately you start having challenges to, to holding that positive tone because things keep happening and you keep, you know, and there's, I share some of that in the book too, about how almost right away there's something that sort of knocks you backwards and you're like, man, but then you got to catch yourself and be like, no, I'm not going to let that get me down. I'm going to keep moving forward. And it's just been a dedication and a determination ever since then to just keep that alive. And, you know, even the way we dealt with it with the kids, I mean, we had to be honest about it and give that, you know, we didn't want to pretend bad things didn't happen and give kids opportunities to share what they're feeling. But then we'd always, I'd always make an effort to turn it that into some positive, like share a funny story, a funny memory, you know, bring it right back out of the, don't just sit there and dwell on your sadness. And, you know, we've right. done very well as a result. And, you know, overall, my kids have handled it about as well as they could possibly handle it, I think. And, you know, they, they're doing well to this day. They still are really a fun group of kids who have a lot of fun. You know, they have their moments of fighting each other like kids do and everything else. And, you know, there's still a lot of frustration. I'm not trying to say we live some great life. But but overall, we, we keep a very fun, positive attitude overall most of the time and always kind of focus on getting back to that. Okay. So let's talk about the the time uh, from the hospital until, until you actually started getting your feet underneath you because 
no matter how your your viewpoint, I think is, and I'm not trying to assert that you didn't have a, a positive viewpoint when when as you were leaving the hospital uh, after her loss, but what was the most difficult thing for you to be able to do to help put, point your feet forward to have that that positive mental attitude? Oh, man, there are so many things. It's hard to say one, you know, because it is. It's just so overwhelming because and it just kind of hits you and comes and goes in ways. Just even dealing with, you know, sitting there at night after you put the kids to bed and especially in the days following the weeks following, you know, over time it gets less and less. But just sitting there being stunned, like it was hard to believe she wasn't there. Like your right. mind, at times your mind can't even process that, you know, like something <clears throat> I might be watching a show and something funny might happen and almost turn to tell her, like she's sitting on the couch next to me <clears throat> and you're like, wait, she's not here. You know? Um, sure. So I, I, there's just so many things like that. Just these things that hit you, these realizations. And then also the frustration of the time, you know, like, not having the help. I mean, we had a lot of help from friends and family. We actually had an amazing amount of help from the community, but there's only so much they can do. Like they can't, right. you know, when kids wake up at midnight crying or getting sick or whatever, you're not going to call people up and be like, Hey, come over. Come give me a hand. <laughs> you know, the little phrase I had in my head, I realized over time, I'm like, there's no more rock, paper, scissors. Cause like, that was the thing with Melanie and I, like sometimes kids would be, something would be going on and we'd be like rock, paper, scissors to see who had to go take care of them. Right. And you're like, man, there's no more rock, paper, scissors. It's all me. I got to do yeah. everything. And, you know, it's it, that and it's the loss of her. And, you know, there's so many things like that. And, and it's not just one thing. It's, it's really the hardest thing is the way all these things come together. You know, and it, it's just because it's one thing after another hitting you. And that's the hardest thing to deal with is just that constant barrage. Okay. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because another person that I had spoke to talked about how that was a very similar issue for them is that it there was not knowing where the next hit was coming from but knowing that it was coming right you know and and not really having the sense of being able how to prepare themselves uh for that they just knew that they had to keep going and so did you find for yourself though because this is what they said they said that they kind of found themselves just in uh in autopilot mode for a little bit that they just they did the things that they had to do to get through the day would that would you oh. say that was accurate for you as well Totally. And I'm still, I mean, it's been over two years now. I'm still kind of in that mode half the time. Our house <laughs> okay. is a mess. You know, our house is a mess. You know, we keep up with dishes and the basics of what we have to keep up with. But like our house should be a lot tidier. There's like kids toys thrown everywhere, especially in like the basement. That it, It's like you pick and choose your battles. I'm, like, I'm almost like, you know, there's nothing here that's like dangerous or <laughs> like it's going to be sure. a mess. It's going to be a mess because I like something's got to give. You can't keep up with absolutely right. everything. And, you know, it's like pick and choose. Like sometimes it's embarrassing people come over just how much of a mess our house is. But you know, in my head, I'm just thinking. In one way, I'm a little embarrassed that we let it be such a mess. In another way, I'm like, you try to deal with this. <laughs> right, you know, right. That's my that's my way in my head of kind of almost justifying it and make myself not feel quite so embarrassed that my house is so trashed. But you know, <laughs> well, I I you know so you know my my wife and I have three kids we uh my oldest is is married and moved away now but we've got so we have two kids still at home we have two dogs two cats and you know that's that's a lot of heartbeats for for one house and you uh -huh. know, and, and uh i don't think that our house is messy i don't think it's you know uh it's not always the cleanest right. but what i say is that it's lived in our house is lived in um especially now i'm i'm 
guessing by some of the voices I hear it a little bit in the background every once in a while. Uh, some of the some of your children are still of a younger age, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, the, the, actually the youngest is about to have his seventh birthday in about three days. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah, so yeah, yeah. so yeah, you got you got some little tykes running around there. That that's gonna be uh, yeah. That's even that's even more of a challenge because those guys are little whirling dervishes of yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> right. disasters. That's so, part of the thing. If you even try to clean up, it's like 15 minutes later, they're just going to have every toy thrown <laughs> all over the floor again anyway. So it's like, why bother? Just leave them there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, you know, you can bang your head up against the wall, right. uh, you know, all day long and try and, and face these things. And it's not that you're making excuses for, oh, that's a dirty house and we got kids. It's just the way it's going to be. It's just that you have to pick your battles. And I think that's a wise way to approach it. Right. Um but there's so, a big dip, there's a big difference between clutter and actual like dirty. Like we make sure we clean up like if milk gets absolutely. spilled or whatever, like anything that's gonna like mold, but if it's just clutter or toys laying around, it's like it's not worth the time. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and and yeah, I think I think a lot of people with, with especially with small children and younger children will have the exact same approach, whether they're they're single parenting it like you are right now at the moment, or if or if you know they're still, you know, with their spouse. So and, and I had to laugh a minute earlier because, so you said you mentioned playing rock paper scissors, and that's something that my wife and I do very frequently. Uh, and you know, we've been married for twenty three years, and so that's one of the things we've done for the last twenty three years. Is you know, every time something's come up that neither one of us really wants to handle, all right, rock paper scissors, and somehow I always <laughs> end up losing. But that's not the point. Um, but yeah, I just I, it just kind of made me chuckle, and I was like, oh wow, somebody else does that. Yeah. Um, okay, so. You coming home from the hospital, you, you, you're you're now home. You have to start re refocusing yourself, directing yourself. How did you find balance, or, or or work on finding balance when it came to the home work life equation? Oh man, um, there, there almost is no way. I mean, for a long time you didn't. You just basically you picked the highest priority things and you just did them. You know, you didn't, it's like what had to be done, you did, and you didn't worry about the rest of it. If it didn't have to be done, then it didn't get done. So, you know, a lot of stuff got kind of lost in the balance. You know, a lot of things that normally we might have done, we didn't do anymore. You know, like cleaning up the clutter, or I could probably name a whole bunch of other things. But, um, you know, you just, you just did what you had to do. I mean, and then I think uh, just moving on and, and you know, a, a huge part of that is asking for help. And I think that's something I think men have a harder time with that than women in general. And, yeah. you know, and I, I got better at it out of pure necessity. And I had a lot of people and even if people are offering, I often didn't take them up on help as much as I probably could have. You know, there's also right. certain things where it's not even just a matter of pride, but it, certain things almost felt like invasion of privacy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I didn't want somebody coming in and doing my laundry. I'm like, I don't need anybody going through my underwear, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Understood. So there's certain things, you know, you just don't want to turn over, but, um, but, but at the same time asking for help or people happen out, like, you know, there's it, sometimes you feel like, well, I should be able to just do this myself, but sometimes people may be helping you out with something. that's not that hard or whatever that you could do yourself. Right. So you feel almost like you're bothering other people, but, at the same time, they want to do it. Like a lot of people love Melanie. My wife, Melanie, had a lot of friends. She was that kind of person right. who just people loved her and like they want to feel connected to her. They want to, you know, right. and I, somebody said that to me one time. They're like, you know, if you don't let people help out, you're kind of denying them the chance to show their love, <clears throat> you know, for Melanie and their family. I'm like, 
okay, you got a good point there. So then you open yourself up more. But And then it's also a struggle with people like, in one way, it's great for people to bring bringing you food and all this stuff. But then another way, it's like we start like just everybody in the family is like gaining weight because people keep bringing chocolate chip <laughs> cookies and brownies. And I'm like, man, I can't like I mean, somebody literally like you have this tub of chocolate chip cookies. And before you even got halfway through it, somebody's already dropping another one off at your doorstep. And you're like, oh, man, quit, please quit bringing all this. <laughs> and, you know, you feel bad. You don't want to tell people. Right. To knock it off because they're being so nice to you. But at the same time, some of it's kind of counterproductive. It's like we don't need this much junk food, you know, or right. whatever. So, you know, it's, it's a big challenge of asking for help but finding the right help and balancing all that out, not hurting people's feelings or letting them contribute. And that, that almost got overwhelming just dealing with it, trying to keep up, you know. Some people almost seem to get offended if you didn't let them help. And it's like, I don't know what the hell yeah. you do. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, just like just like you are in a different form, though, people are looking for closure, a sense of closure and and how to, you know, and like you said, there's especially for someone who, who's so well loved, as you say, Melanie was and is still like it, it's very clear that, you know, you still have a, a deep love for Melanie. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people, that's how they, you know, they get to that point of, of trying to access a, a point of closure uh, or a sense of closure for, for what has has happened, what has transpired. Okay, so for you though, you know, in the in this time, uh, what you're dealing with, and it, it's fresh, it's new. You're you're trying to move yourself forward. What was the emotional mental impact for you? How did this affect your mental health, your emotional health? Ah, oh, man, in so many ways. Again, it's just it's you know because it's overwhelming. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You're not even sure how you're supposed to proceed anymore. You know, and I think that was one of the biggest things. Like. I think there were a lot of times I was almost trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? And it, it took me a long time, probably almost realize there is no supposed to, you know, like when you're married, you got to make a lot of compromises and you got to do things, mm-hmm. you know, and you got to respect your partner and stuff. And right. I think it, it was kind of months later, I realized like, and this is a hard thing to even say to yourself or think sometimes when you're really missing that person, but you're like, you know what? She's not here anymore. She doesn't have a say like this. I got to do it my way, whatever works for me. And, it, it, you know, on certain things, it almost doesn't. I mean, you, you want to respect the person's wishes in a way, in the way maybe. Absolutely. You know, and, and you do. But at the same time, you realize, like, you know, I can't do things the way she did them. You know, and the kids, they even got to get used to the fact that things, you know, and like it was funny because I, I still do this once in a while. Like even in the house, you just get so used to seeing things in places. You don't think about it or look at them. And it's like all of a sudden I realized we had like this shelf in the kitchen and all the stuff on it we never use. But I wasn't going to move it because I'm like, well, Melanie wanted the shelf that way. And then I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. We don't use any of this stuff. Like this is a waste <laughs> of shelf space I could be using for something. And it, it took me months before one day I actually took all this stuff off these shelves in our kitchen. Most of it I threw away. Some things I gave away, whatever. And then actually put stuff up. And, and like I was like had the kitchen almost in a cluttered state because I'd just be setting things on the counter like I didn't have anywhere to put them. And that was when I realized like, well, I have these shelves and I can use them the way I want to use them or I need to use them. Like even stuff right. like that. And I still to this day, like I just did it recently, like over two years later, I walk in the bathroom one day and I'm looking at like the little cupboard in the bathroom, one of the shelves. And I'm like, what is all this stuff doing here? Like, then this is all like, we don't need any of this. And you're like taking the stuff out, just getting rid of it and realizing like, you know, just learning what you can do on your own and stuff was, that was kind of a challenge. It was a hard thing to, it, it's still, I'm still kind of picking up the pieces on that here and there. 
actually. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, you know, it's only it's been you said two years now. Yeah, a little right? over two years. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So you know, in a lot of ways, for and how long were you married again? I'm sorry. Almost 19 years. She actually passed okay. away three weeks before what would have been our 19th anniversary. Okay. Well, yeah. So you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's still going to be a fresh. That's still going to be an emotionally fresh wound. Uh, even at two years, you've spent. We considering how much time you have spent with this person, and you know the the life that you had built together. That that's going to to make that um, a, a unique a unique experience to have to learn how to to move past. Right. So, you know, you, you talked about having to pack up stuff and 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 put stuff away, and you were, you were saying this the stuff that you were, you you didn't need any longer, and you were just getting rid of. Was that an easy thing for you to do? Because for some people, you know, um, you know, there, there's a disconnect there, and it's just it's just things. Uh, and then now, for some people, there's an emotional attachment because it was this person's things, their spouse's things, their mother's things, their dad's things, whoever it is that they they unfortunately lost. Mm -hmm. uh, so for you, as you were as you were packing these things up or disposing of the things that were unnecessary. Did you find yourself struggling with that because they were Melanie's or did you, were you able to just treat them as things? It's a little bit all the above, of course, but it, it was really actually, that one wasn't too bad for me because Melanie only has one sister. Her sister's, her name's Stephanie. And we, we actually got even closer after all this happened. Stephanie is probably the person I would talk to the most, you know, almost every day for a while. Sure. And Stephanie was very much like, I want to be involved and I want, you know, and so one of the things we actually figured out pretty quickly was, and we, it was mostly about like just the bedroom and the stuff in the bedroom, not necessarily like the kitchen shell or whatever, mm -hmm. but we actually um, probably just several weeks after Melanie passed, Stephanie kind of wanted to go through her thing. She wanted to touch them and sort them and see them. And so I actually just took everything like out of Melanie's closets and drawers and a few other places in the house and just threw them into like boxes and in some cases bags all her clothes drew this, that, and the other. And I just took them to Stephanie and Stephanie said, I'll sort through them. Don't worry about it. You okay. know, and she, she might call me here and there and be like, well, what do you want to do with this thing? And sometimes I'd be like, keep it. Sometimes I'd be like, get rid of it or keep it for yourself if you want it. But you know, there was a process there and she got all these bins and like all the stuff we did want to keep, she put in bins to just kind of put into storage. So like if our kids want to go through that when they're older or whatever, we have it, but she really handled a lot of that, at least for, at least in this, the, just the key core kind of Melanie's own possessions, you know, kind of thing, you know, not so okay. much other things around the house, but, um, but yeah, that, that was a big, and that, again, that's a huge area we're asking for help because that, that would have been so hard to do. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with it in terms of time. I didn't want to deal with it in terms of looking through stuff, like anything. And mm -hmm. that, that that was one of those huge areas where asking for help or being willing to let someone else help you was just the perfect way to handle it. Absolutely. Okay. So how long uh, after the loss of Melanie did you decide that you wanted to write a book? And how did that process come about? So I wanted to be a writer my entire life. Even as a kid, I was already dreaming of it. I would write stories as a kid. Um, like when I was in eighth grade, um, I wasn't really a good student, not because I wasn't smart enough, because I was that kid who wouldn't apply himself. But when we actually did our eighth grade play, our elementary school play that the eighth grade put on, I kind of took over writing almost the whole play. And everybody's kind of blown away because they didn't expect that out of me because I was a kid who like never did my homework. And yet here I wrote like the whole play. I was just having fun with it. And then everybody's kind of blown away. But um, I actually wrote my first novel in 1997, 
which I haven't yet published. I tried to get a traditional publisher back then. I won't go into all the details of that, but then life kind of took over and got in the way of getting married, starting having kids. And yeah, you know, I, I always stayed in it. I always still wanted to be a writer. And I actually spent a lot of time over the years doing writers workshops and writers conferences and just studying the art and craft and getting better at it. And then when my dad passed in 2005, I wrote a second book about that experience, um, which was fiction, but based on like our childhood and some things. Again, tried a little bit to get it published. It kind of couldn't really break through and then didn't really have time to really aggressively keep going after that. But so when Melanie passed, I actually did her eulogy and um, people kind of almost thought I was crazy, but I was like, I got to do it. You know, nobody knew her better than me. I just got to get up there. When I did the eulogy, people were really kind of blown away because it was, it was funny. It was like, there were parts of it that kind of made it humorous, but also very touching and, you know, and very positive about moving forward, which is what I'd already decided, you know, we're going to do and focus on. And after I did that eulogy and I had all those notes from it, I started looking at him like, you know, I almost got the outline for a book right here. And I was kind of like journaling, writing notes, writing out more of the ideas, talking to friends and family about stories. And the ideas started germinating pretty quickly. Um, over the next few months, it was just too raw. It was too close. Like I couldn't really do it. Anytime I really sat down, other than maybe jotting some notes down, I just couldn't. And then a few months into it, I finally just reached a point where I'm like, I'm going to try this a little more. And, you know, I, I started off trying to just explain things too much and, yeah, I probably wrote the first 10, 15, 20 pages probably 15 times and just kept deleting it, wiping it out, getting rid of it. And then one day it just finally, probably about probably about seven months after she passed, one day it just clicked. Like I just kind of focused on story, not talking about or explaining things and just let the story flow and let the story go and just start it. Boom, here's the story. Let's go. And it just really clicked and started flowing. And so over the next few months, I basically wrote the whole book, you know, um, got it done, got it published. And then like a madman, you know, ended up publishing it in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> when it timed out. But yeah, but it's been a great experience. I'm so happy I did it. Oh, uh, I just lost. We have a little bit of technical difficulties there. Hopefully, Patrick's back. Yeah, I'm here. All right. Okay. I don't know what happened there, but we'll, we'll no, roll with either. it. <laughs> All right. All right. So did you find that uh, writing the book in, in the way that you did? Because now you've explained it, and it's, it's, and it's so nicely explained by other people as well who have reviewed your book, that it's very candidly written. And you said earlier, even to the point where it, it, it puts you in a, a not so great light at, at times. Did you find that writing it that openly and that, art, that honestly, did you find it to be a cathartic experience for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, way more than I, I mean, I kind of knew it would be going into it, but way more than I ever expected. And not only for what happened with her, but my whole life, like everything. Because like telling the backstory, I realized certain backstory, like about just me, I wanted the reader to be able to feel what I was feeling, see it, understand just even my reactions to things or why something was the way it was or what it meant to us. That I really got into backstory in parts that um, just even back to my childhood and things. Cause I, I kind of grew up with an inferiority complex and had a very, 
kind of rough environment growing up in a lot of ways. I had a good childhood in a lot of ways, but it's complex. It's also bad in a lot of ways. And, and, okay. and a lot of things that went on that really didn't do me much good. It, it led to me really growing up, like just with almost no self-confidence, a big, you know, which is hard to admit as a guy, you want to be like, oh, yeah, I'm the alpha male. I'm a tough guy. I can handle whatever. But I can do it, it all. Yeah. It's hard to sit there and admit like, well, I was a total wimp. I was scared of my own shadow. <laughs> yeah. I basically failed at everything I ever did. And I, I kind of hit a point when I was supposed to be in college that I basically flunked out of college and was just down and out and was doing nothing with my life. And kind of one day had this whole epiphany and realized what I was, where I wasn't going and you know, how, what I was doing all wrong and, and basically turned my life around and, you know, and I share all that and tell those stories and then it shows like why we react to other things. And then I get into like even issues Melanie and I had and some of the things, you know, like being supportive of each other was a huge issue in our marriage, you know, and it and, I, and man, I just re- I learned so much more about myself. And it even kind of extended in my family because some of the things I shared about my family in our life growing up. So yeah, I, I have six brothers and sisters. I'm from a fairly big okay. family. And some of them were like, oh, my God, when I was reading this, I felt like I was reading about my own childhood. And even some of my like, you know, my brothers and sisters in law, you know, from my, you know, like my brother's wife was like texting me and calling me up and being like, thank you for writing this. Because understanding like this background and that this is what your family is dealing with. I understand my own husband better now because, you know, a lot of my brothers and sisters went through the same stuff I did, but like, we didn't always talk about it. And they, you know, a lot of us were still closed off to this day. So it not only ended up not only being cathartic for me, it really ended up being cathartic for our whole family and like multiple people. And I I feel like we can almost see and feel now we get together, we all kind of get along better. And, you know, a lot of those issues have kind of been put to bed, so to speak, you know, it's just it has been a huge and it's so cool too it's there's such a power in sharing our stories and the more we're honest and candid and do that the more powerful it is and i've learned that i knew that before i did it and now i've learned it 10 times more because it's not just about me sharing my story i'm very confident i know i've done it in a very powerful way that's really impacted people in an awesome way but the cool thing is I've been able to be a part of so many different things. I've gotten to hear a lot of other people's stories more than I ever would have. And that's also really impacted me now that I've learned from other people and realized what they've gone through. And it puts even, you know, and it's like when we all keep doing that together and doing that, it just, we all just keep getting stronger and keep getting wiser and, you know, better and happier in our lives. Yeah, exactly. I I think that, that people sometimes don't understand the power uh, of a story. Mm-hmm. And when you have a story, the the actually the the importance of you being able to share that story, because, right. you know, there are so many people uh, who don't know how to get through what they're trying to get through. Right. And if they can hear a positive story of someone who's been able to, you know, the, the old saying, you know, been there, done that, so to speak, um, but who has had to, you know, muddle their way through and they've they've done these things now. So. Right, you know, and I know that you've gotten a lot of book reviews about it, but you know, one of the things I like to ask uh, some of the writers who have come on the show and and who have had you know stories like yours, have you had someone reach out or send you an email to tell you what the book meant to them and and what was the impact behind that for you? Oh, I actually had a bunch of people do that. It's been really cool. I mean, there's been actually uh, a mix, like some people I kind of knew a couple friends and family, but also people I didn't even know who kind of got my contact information or sent me stuff on social media. Um, one in particular. So, you know, my wife's family, a lot of them are from Kentucky 
And okay. she's got so she's got one cousin who um, and I mean this totally respectfully, but he's kind of a good old boy. He would describe himself in a heartbeat as a redneck. <laughs> like, you know, he kind of lives out on the farm. He has a horse. You know, he goes, yeah. he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, he really is. But he, he's also lived for years kind of almost like as a recluse. Like he had a lot of issues with his family. And okay. just like like in 20 years, of, we would go down there almost every year, at least once a year and visit with the family or whatever. I'd probably actually met the guy three or four times and maybe had two very brief conversations with him because he would kind of show up for five, 10 minutes, say hi to the family and leave because he was just self-described kind of like recluse loner. He read the book and was so blown away. He was like messaging me. And he's like, I realize I've made a mistake living my life this way. Excuse me. It's very touching. He actually got in a car with his sister and rode five hours to St. Louis with her chatting up the whole way, which is probably the longest time they'd spent together since they were kids and to come to my book signing when we did the book launch. And then like oh the dinner with us and he's telling us all these stories. And I'm like, he, in the middle of dinner, he's, he's telling us like all these awesome dynamic stories. He's just rattling on. And I look at him, I'm like, how in the world are you a recluse? You're like the best conversationalist I've sat with <laughs> <laughs> the last five years. And he's just like laughing. He's like telling me about his background, his education. He used to be in a speech team and in high school and all this stuff. And I was just like, man, but you know, yeah, he quit being a recluse because of that. And we actually, have, I have another cousin who's a doctor who's, so blown away. There's some stuff about like conflicts we had with medical staff and doctors and during her care. And um, I'm respectful about it. Cause I get, you know, sure. but they're people too, and they make mistakes or don't do things well. And I kind of, right. I, I was totally honest about all that. And he read it and he was like, you know, you open my eyes to the fact that we as doctors got to remember, you know, these people on the other end are people. And he's like, it's totally like shaped so much of the way he deals with his patients now he's telling me about. And oh, that's awesome. other, another guy, um, somebody I didn't even know, you know, kind of started contacting me and we ended up getting on the phone and talking. He was had serious like substance abuse problems, things like that. Yeah. And was getting really candid, open and thanking me for sharing my story and how much it could help people. And what's funny is that's not really directly part of my story, but yet pain is pain. Like it, what sure. I wrote still touched him to the point where he, just kind of one. And I've had other people too. Like I I've had, I don't even know how many like dozens probably Mm -hmm. in different ways, contact me and kind of talk about wanting to share their stories or actually getting, you know, a couple few cases, I actually ended up getting on the phone with these people and having conversations with them about stuff. And that's great. Yeah. It's just, it's really, really been a phenomenal experience. The way this is touching. I I knew it was, I was very confident it was a really good book, but I, I, this has gone so far beyond what I expected. It's been a really neat experience because the book has just really touched people. That's great. You know, something you just said there is, I think is extremely powerful. And I want, I just want to bring this up one more time that pain is pain. And I think sometimes when we, when we talk about what people have gone through and what people are experiencing, I think sometimes as humans, we tend to trivialize what other people go through. Oh, well, it's that it, they're not dealing with this because I'm dealing with this and they're not right. dealing with that because that's not how I dealt with it. But, you know, if we if you look at it as that right there, pain is pain. So the, the fact that you're able to to help someone, even though your book is about loss and, and family, you know, and, you know, kind of you know, those many uh, uh, different little caveats there. The fact that he was able to find something and identify with that. And if that helped him with his substance abuse issues, how phenomenal is that? Right. You know, that's that's a wonderful thing. Right. Because the um, thing we almost forget is not. a am oh, sorry. I just had to. It's it's not. No, a compet- 
it's not a competition. You no. know, it's not my pain's worse than somebody else's. I'm not sharing this. You know, the one thing I could probably say about my story and why the book's been so popular and good is I'm probably a better storyteller than other people are. I'm probably a better writer, but that doesn't mean my actual stories, like a lot of people I've talked to, their story's probably worse. What they've dealt with is probably worse in some ways. Sure. But, but the point is, it's not a competition. And that's where we kind of said this earlier, but the more we all share our stories and the more we share them openly and on it and candid, you know, like I, I, one last point, I shared a bunch of stuff in my story about me that really made, I really thought I was going to come off looking like a jerk and I'd use a stronger word than jerk or just looking like a whip or whatever. And some of the stuff I shared, and those are the things, some of those things I wrote out and I literally deleted them multiple times. So I'm like, I can't tell people that I can't admit I thought that or did that or was that way. Right. And then ultimately I'd be like, no, it's just too important because it's real and it's part of who I am. And I ended up putting those things back in the story. And the amazing thing is those are the things that resonate with people the most. Those are the things that people are like thanking me for sharing. And well, yeah. you know, it's those things you fear that you're almost embarrassed by. They're actually the most powerful part of your story typically. And I, and now yeah. I'm so glad I shared those things because it really, it's been the thing that's really been the, the, the parts that just touch people the most and, and opened up conversations and, and other people sharing and everything else. And I'm just so thrilled now that I did share those things. I'm so happy about it. Well, I'm glad you did too, because I think that many people would agree that the most touching things are going to be the most honest, the most openly and raw when you're right. and if you're and if you're allowing yourself to put yourself in a, a vulnerable position like that it it, it engenders a, a, an openness between you and your reader and it's going to let them see that you know that you're not just out here trying to trying to make yourself look better and oh i was great at doing this and oh i was great at doing that but it shows <laughs> your humanity when you're right. able to open up and be vulnerable and i think that's an amazing thing and the I more you, highlight, oh, please go ahead. I'm sorry. I was to say, the more you do it, the easier it gets, too. Like now, I'm like a point where I'm like, oh, I don't care if you want to know, I'll share. I'll share with you what a dork <laughs> I was. Like, I don't care. And I'm like, not afraid to cry. You know, I used to get embarrassed. I'm like, if I start sharing some emotional crying, I'm crying. I don't care. Like, yeah, you know, it's real. It's what it is. You yeah. should feel emotions, you know. And like, I, it's, a, it's amazing to me because I was actually the opposite when I was younger. I was a guy, I was so private and closed off. Like, I, I think Melanie would even be blown away because even though I got less and better about that over the years, she'd probably just be absolutely blown away the stuff I shared in this book. Because I actually shared a couple of secrets about in this book about myself that no one knew. And uh, oh wow, okay. my best friend came to me on one of them and was just like, "I can't believe you've never told me that." And I was like, "I've never told anybody," which is the weirdest thing because here's this thing I've been keeping my like for years and years I've never told anyone, and then I publish it in a book for the entire world, but. <laughs> Going through the experience of your wife, your best friend dying changes you and makes you more willing to do those things. And and as a writer, I consider myself an artist. I'm like, I have to share these things. It's the right time. It's the right venue. Like it's time to just put this out there for people because I think it can really help people. And the more the more I've done it, like I said, the more I'm happy to keep doing it because it's so powerful. Yeah. No, Sorry, I think that's great. No, no, I'm, I, no, I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to point out, though, that if you go to Patrick's website, which is patrickplong.com, uh, you can find his book. Again, it's Ordinarily Extraordinary. And again, I think he did that on purpose, so it'd be hard to pronounce. But <laughs> but if you go and look at the book reviews, and I was blown away by some of the people who reviewed your book and who you have notes here from. Uh, so very famous Chicken Soup for the Soul series, the co-author of that reviewed your book. Um, and... Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, the, the fact that he, you know, and it's not like he's like, it's not a trite review. It's not just, oh, it's a great book. You should check it out. Um, yeah, I, I love the fact he says, you're in the room with Patrick when things are happening. You're in his brain. You're in his heart. If I were at a seminar, I would say I don't want anyone to leave this room without this book. And I think that's huge. Uh, not just because it's not just because it's Jack Canfield and he's an author of this dynamic series that has touched so many people. But I think that it, as you go down and you read the rest of these uh, these reviews, and I'm looking kind of looking at it on the website. And as a matter of fact, I'll bring these up and show them to everybody. Uh, they can take a look at these as well. Um, but as you're you're looking through these, it's not just you know, Jack Canfield here again from the chicken soup for the soul series, but you've got people who are experts in their field and they're, you know, and all these, these different people. And they're, they're talking about how raw, how revealing, how open your book is. And as you can see, this, this isn't like one or two reviews. This keeps going and going and going. Um, but I, then I got to this one. And I, and I want to, and I'm hoping you'll share a little bit about this, this bottom one here from, from Mary. And I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name because that wouldn't do either of us any, any good. Uh, and sorry, Mary, for not being able to pronounce your last name. But it says that after years of working with children who have a parent with cancer and now as a nurse, I've gotten small glances into the day-to-day -day struggles that come along with a cancer diagnosis. This novel puts you right in the hospital room as Patrick gives a raw and emotional account of the most difficult situations a family can face. I couldn't put it down. Definitely a must-read and a poignant tribute to an incredible wife, mother, and friend. Long story is captivating, full of depth, and at times dark, funny, sad yet ultimately uplifting and inspirational now they could have read that on their own and, and everything else but i wanted to share that because it has a tie for you at this this camp and i was hoping that you could talk to me about this camp and what your tie is with them and of course uh you know the american cancer society yeah I, and thank you for doing that because i i love to share anything about camp kesem camp kesem is it, the most phenomenal organization i've ever known like this their mission is they support <clears throat> kids children who have a parent with cancer so as soon as melanie got diagnosed and she got diagnosed right at the end of 2015 it was in october of 2015 and um, pretty quickly, like when she was getting in and out of hospitals and starting to get treatment, because they were very quick about getting her right into treatment because of where she was at with it and stuff. But anyway, she came across someone, I don't even know who, told her about this camp. And she came home and talked to me. And I was like, yeah, because we had just looked into other camps a few months earlier. And I'm like, camps are so expensive and we're dealing with all these medical bills. She's like, well, it's free. So they do it. And it's free to families. We would have never been part of it if it hadn't been. But they do all this fundraising throughout the year and stuff, and then they make the camp free. So it's a national organization. It's run through colleges and universities. So we're part of this. We're in St. Louis. We're part of the St. Louis University chapter of it. But okay. there's like one at University of Missouri, Mizzou. And there's they had actually started, I believe, if memory serves, at Stanford. I think it started out in California, but they're in like 135 colleges and universities throughout the country. So probably somewhere around you, there's probably a, a chapter of it, but they have a week long summer camp. That's overnight. The kids are gone for the whole week at it. And they just, it's a really neat thing. Cause it's not like sad. It's not like they're sitting there counseling the kid. Like they just get out and have fun. 
But the neat thing about that is all the kids there are, you know, have a parent cancer or have lost a parent to cancer. So these kids are just like, man, there's all these other kids just like me. But they have like one night of the week where they have what they call their empowerment ceremony. And that that's the one time they do get kind of into, um, you know, just talking deep about their feelings and stuff and kids share stuff and kids are crying and whatnot. But, um, but the rest of the time they just make it fun. And it just, the, the counselors are amazing. So, you know, they're doing this cause they care. They're all volunteers, you know, they're not right. And, and, and they get build relationships with the kids and they get to know them because then they also have, they used to call them reunions. Now they call them friends and family days, but four to five times throughout the year besides that, so really every couple of months they'll get together in the area like and just take the kids out for the afternoon and go do stuff with them. So it's not just the once a year they get to see them. They interact with them throughout the year. And, you know, they really nice. get to be family friends and they get to be, get to be people, you know, and a lot of the kids who are counselors end up doing it because they had a similar experience. You know, a lot of them have dealt with cancer in their lives. Like, you know, most people have. So, you know, and there's, so it's a very real deep thing, but I, I am absolutely 100%, I will tell you a thousand times over that my kids dealt with the passing of their mom so much better because of Camp Kessum. I think they were more prepared for it. They'd known other kids who'd been through it. They'd seen that those kids were still living a good life and moving on. And, um, you know, it, it's just been a phenomenal thing. And I, I try to tell everyone I know. I'm actually now on the advisory board of Camp Kessum at St. Louis University. Excellent. And I Excellent. do fundraising for them all through every year on Melanie's birthday, we do a Facebook fundraiser and we'll, we'll end up raising like a few thousand dollars extra for them through our little fundraiser and, and stuff like that. But I try to tell everyone I know about them. So I appreciate you bringing them up because everyone should know the name of this organization. If you're a parent or you know any parents who get diagnosed with cancer and have kids, like they tell them about Camp Kessum, they should get their kids involved with it because it is just so fantastic. Okay. And we'll make sure that we include some information about Camp Kessum in the uh, the show notes when this gets reposted for the replay. So as people are watching, it'll be down in the, the information down there. And of Thank course, you. you can go to campkessum.org uh, to find out more about them. Now, another yeah. important thing I, I wanted to point out, too, is that when people buy your book, not only do they get this great book and they get to see the the, the love that you have for Melanie and your, and your children, but in this very heartfelt and, and openly raw story, but a portion of the proceeds also goes to benefit the American Cancer Society. Right. And Camp Kessem both. Yeah. And Camp Kessem, um, yes. Yeah. They're, they've been a huge part of our story. We've, we actually, uh, Melanie had an old college friend who's one of the top people, community outreach people at the American Cancer Society in St. Louis. So we got very involved with them, like almost right after a diagnosis, they'd actually run into each other in the hospital. So we've been actively fundraising with American Cancer Society also since the beginning. We do their walk every year. And I actually have a full pink tuxedo. You can see the uh, pink top hat over my shoulder here. But I have a full pink tuxedo that I actually wore the first awesome. year I, I did it. I was in the Real Men Wear Pink, which is a group American Cancer Society do. And yep. in my workplace, I said, hey, if you guys raise like, I forget the number, I think I said $2,000. I'm like, I'll wear a pink tuxedo into work one day. <laughs> and I think we ended up raising over 3000 and then I went out to happy hour. So I went out to happy hour with all my coworkers dressed in my pink tuxedo and my pink top hat on. But, but we've been actively involved with them ever since. And yeah, I always try to tell people, don't think about it as a donation to charity. It's really an investment. You know, you're investing in your own future because sure. ca cancer is going to touch you. If it hasn't already, it's going, even if it has already, I mean, I'm, 
I'm not kidding myself. It's probably going to touch me again one way or another someday. Yeah. Somebody yeah. in my family and we're, you know, cause they do so much research and try and, you know, work towards better treatments, cure on top of all the other services they provide. I'm like, we're really all investing in our own future. We're not just giving money away to a charity, you know? And so that's just so important to me because I've, I've seen the worst effects of it. So, you know, I, I realize yeah. the import, I realize the importance of it, you know, and I try to share that with people. Okay. And two, so if you're wondering where you can find his book, you can, of course, uh, go to where most of us do a lot of our shopping online. And that, of course, is uh, not that link. That's the wrong link. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's the joy of a live show right there. Um, <laughs> there we go. You can go to Amazon. You can buy the paperback version. And I want people to notice this little ditty right here. It's a five-star rating through 110 reviews. And those aren't just, those aren't purchases. Those are people who have actually reviewed the book on Amazon and it carries a five-star rating. So that is, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, by so, the way, to, to brag it up, I also just won the Missouri, uh, Missouri Writers Guild does an annual book award contest. I submitted mine. I just won for best nonfiction and, you know, authors all over the state of Missouri. So award-winning as well. <laughs> awesome congrats yeah all right so we're we're uh we're rounding uh down to the last few minutes of our hour here and i'd like to ask you two questions that i ask every single person who's been on the show first question looking back over the entirety of your journey what's the single greatest lesson that you've learned uh the power of choice hands down that we have so much power and control over our lives like the choice of me in the icu setting a positive tone for my family you know, you, you can have victim mentality and I could have sat around and be like, why me? Why her? Why'd she have to die? Why this happened to us? But, you know, choice permeates everything and everything that happens to you. You know, no, I did not have a choice that my wife died. No, I didn't want right. that. But I had a choice how I proceeded. And there, there is an element of choice in absolutely everything that goes on. You are, you are nonstop constantly making choices, whether you realize it or not. And you can control and decide like right now, hearing me talk, you're making a choice, whether or not you believe me or you're going to agree with me. Right. right. But you, you have, and you have the power more than you think to make the choices you want to make, make positive, constructive choices. And that, that understanding you have that power and understanding to utilize it by far and away is the biggest lesson I've ever learned. Hands down. Okay. Excellent. Uh, second question, similar to the first, looking back over the entirety of your journey, what's the greatest advice you were given? That I was given? Yeah. Oh, man. Ooh. That's a tough one. <laughs> All right, um, cool. Well, you know, actually, the probably the best, uh, it's almost the same answer, but... Um, yeah, I went through some tough parts in our marriage and stuff a while back. And Melanie actually started using the phrase with me all the time, make good choices. <laughs> she'd be like, you know, make good choices. And like she'd say that to me all the time. And it's really funny because she, she kind of meant it a little bit differently what I was talking about. But um, sure. Um, but now that I look back on everything and now that I've realized that other lesson, I look back on how like she was already saying that years ago to me all the time and, and stuff. Because, you know, I always had kind of a, a funny way of getting myself in bad situations or <laughs> a little bit of a mischievous kid and it kind of carried on in my adult life. And so, sure. you know, she was always saying that to me and that, that really probably is probably the best advice I ever got from anyone is just telling me to make good choices and really think about that all the time, you know? Sure. Okay. 
Well, excellent. So I pointed out um, that you can get it on Amazon. Is there any other place that people should look to buy your book from? Yeah, there's actually registrations and we're in the where we're supposed to be. So actually it, it can be bought from any retailer, even if they don't have it in stock. Like if you go into a Barnes and Noble, they can order it because it's all online. You can order it online through Barnes and Noble or other bookstores. So really, basically anywhere books are sold, you can get my book. Um, you can get it on okay. Amazon. And, yeah. And you can also, by the way, people can go to my website, which is patrickplong.com. Mm-hmm. And that has all the links, like whether to buy the book or follow me on social media. And I have a, we call it alerts, like a newsletter or an alert thing. Sign yeah. up for, you know, you can sign up and register for the alerts. So whenever we're doing anything, you can get an email and know what's going on. Cause I am planning on putting out another book later this year and then more in the future. So if anybody wants to kind of be part of getting notified on that, or if I, again, follow me on social media or whatever else. You can do all that right through the website. Okay. So I'll make sure that we add uh, your, the link to your website, patrickplong.com, and then also uh, campkesem.org. We'll put both of those in the description down below. Excellent. And then uh, you uh, you guys, the, 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 the audience, can go to his website, look for his book. You can also go to Amazon, of course, and any other major book retailer. So, Patrick, thank you so much for being on Focused on Forward tonight. Oh, thank, thank you for you. being willing to share. Yeah, thank you. It's been a just. It's been awesome being here. This is a great discussion. Look, we filled almost a whole hour. You said you yeah. filled a whole hour. We did it. But yeah, no, I really good. thank you and thank you for all your kind comments and sharing all that info about the book and the organizations and stuff. Yeah, that's just, my pleasure. That's just, that's just awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so, all right. Well, guys, that's going to conclude us tonight for Focused on Forward. Catch us back uh, next week, Friday. We'll have uh, a. Jeffrey Deskovich, and I'm sure I've slaughtered his last name again, too, but my apologies, Jeff. Uh, But he's going to come on next week and talk about uh, his wrongful incarceration and how he had to use uh, modern technology to beat a charge. And uh, 26 years later, he's now a, a lawyer. So and how he's what he's doing now. So it's very it's an impressive story. It's kind of scary, actually. But uh, but come back next week, Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you then. And thanks, guys. Have a good one. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at PodcastFOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.